Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hi everyone. Well, believe it or not, we're now on week 10 of our series of talks looking at the kingdom of God through the teaching of Jesus. And the topic for today is God's power, the power of God. But I don't want to look at it in the way that I ordinarily hear this subject talked about. Now, often when I have to confess I preach on God's power or I hear it in other sermons, it fits very nicely within our culture of what I'd call instant gratification. Often when we talk of God's power, what we really mean is of some kind of heavenly kapow moment, a a lightning bolt from heaven, a moment that turns on the lights amidst the darkness and overcomes any challenge that we are facing right now. Uh, Well, of course, God can do that. Uh, Jesus did that a lot, so did his disciples, and we are to fully expect moments like that in church life. But that is not always the way in the kingdom of Jesus. And what I want to look at today is an aspect of God's power that doesn't often get talked about, at least in the Western world. We're going to read a parable together in a moment in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Before we read the parable, the first few verses of that chapter are important by way of surrounding context. In Luke 13, Jesus begins by referring to a couple of recent tragedies. In verse 1, He tells us that Pontius Pilate has killed a number of Galileans, that's the province that Jesus is from, as they were offering sacrifices in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is headed. In the second tragedy, in verse 4, a tower has collapsed and crushed 18 people to death. And Jesus ends up asking a question that we can safely presume was a question that many people were asking at this point in time, which is this. Did these bad things happen to these people because they were worse sinners than everybody else? In other words, is this the judgment of God? Did they deserve it? Well, Jesus responds with a very clear and a very firm no. In God's economy, he doesn't zap us from above when we do things that are wrong. But then in his usual brilliant way, Jesus reframes the question completely. You see, the main reason that events like these are so tragic, Jesus explains, is they actually reveal what's going to happen to all of us. Death comes to everyone. It's just we don't go around thinking about this most of the time. But nothing reveals our finiteness, our mortality more than when death comes suddenly and unexpectedly. And the real tragedy here is that death exists at all in a fallen world. So what are we to do about this? Well, Jesus's answer is actually really clear. He calls us to repent. Fallen world underlines our need to repent. You see, we are not strong enough to overcome death. We are limited. We are finite. And so we need in moments like these to realise I need to stop living for myself. I can't fix my life or the world around me. I need to go in the opposite direction and follow someone greater. I need to follow Jesus. I need to live for God. In other words, applied to our current year, years like 2020, global pandemics, COVID-19, which so clearly reveal our limitations, our powerlessness, our mortality, this is a sign which kind of points us to our need of God. 
I'm to look at the world right now and realise I need God's power. I need power from someone or somewhere greater than myself. Then, then Jesus tells this parable, starting in verse 6, it says this. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, the fig tree in question, firstly, uh, at its most simple level, represents Israel. But if we are not careful, in many ways, it can represent all of us. You see, Israel is living with this call to be a blessing to the world, and Israel is falling very short of this call. And this is depicted in this story by a picture of a tree that is bearing no fruit. There is no power. The life that should be there is not there. The response of the fig tree owner seems pretty brutal. Well, it's time to cut the tree down then get rid, move on, clear the ground and make ready for a fresh start? Uh, this is a really scary question to ask us. But how do we feel if the owner of the fig tree represents God looking at our lives? If God is looking at my life right now, is he seeing the fruit and the life and the power that I should be producing? And what about you? And if God is not seeing the fruit that I should be producing, what is his response? Uh, we live right now at pretty much the most privileged, wealthiest, freest, most comfortable city, not just in all the world, but in all of human history. I mean, even recent history just shows us how staggering the advances that we have made. A really silly example, but I was thinking about this recently as we were debating what to get our children for Christmas. And it's amazing comparing what kids get today, comparing with what I got just a few years ago. Uh, today, kids get things like Playstations and Xboxes, if they're lucky, like VR headsets. What did I get? I got something a little more like this. A water squirter toy. Hours of endless fun on long car journeys. Anyone remember these? I uh, showed this to my kids. They were like, whoa, dad, was that excavated with caveman tools? Is that how old it is? Now, silly example, but the point is this. We have it better than anyone else. Given all that we have, given all that we get, how do we think God feels about the fruit that we are producing? This is a sobering thought for me if it's not for you. You see, just like I look at the world out there and realise, oh, I'm finite and mortal, I need God's power, I feel it even more when I look in here. It's like I'm not producing the fruit I should, I need God's power. Even more so because the parable tells us that some kind of judgment is coming. If this tree doesn't bear fruit eventually to the owner's liking, it will be cut down. My response at this point in the story, if I'm reading it right, should be something along the lines of what I describe as holy fear of God. It's like I deserve to be cut down. I'm not producing enough fruit. Oh, Father, have mercy on me. We'll come back to that in a moment. 
But I want to flip the parable for a second. You see, I wonder if rather than the fig tree owner representing God, perhaps sometimes it could represent me looking at Jesus and the things of his kingdom. You see, I wonder how often I look at the Christian faith or the things of the kingdom of Jesus, and perhaps I'm guilty of having a similar reaction to the owner of the fig tree in this story. Yeah, I tried Christianity. Didn't work for me. Oh, I turned to God expecting a kapow moment from heaven. Didn't happen, so I moved on. I gave prayer a go. Didn't seem to work. Tried something new. Oh, online church? Nah, not as good as Netflix. Cut it down, switch over, move on. 2020, oh, God's clearly not working here. Let's move on, let's get it over with as quickly as we humanly can. You know, maybe, maybe I am in danger of looking at Jesus and the things of his kingdom like many of the people in Luke's gospel looked at Jesus. You see, they wanted a kapow moment from heaven, a hero to ride in on a white charger, to overthrow their enemies, to lead them to peace and prosperity, instant fruit, instant success, instant power. And if Jesus doesn't produce that kind of fruit, cut him down. Well, Jesus is not that kind of king. Jesus, we go on to read, is the vineyard owner. The vineyard owner looks at the lack of fruit, the lack of life, the lack of power. And rather than trying to zap it in a moment, he says this, let's put some manure on it. Let's give it some time. In other words, Jesus is patient. He is playing the long game. You know, manure is not a popular commodity in Western culture. It's not glossy or shiny. It produces no instant results. It's going to take a long time to see if manure makes any difference. If we want a quick fix, don't use manure. More than that, manure doesn't rank very highly in the world's economy. It's rubbish, it's refuse, it's smelly. Most people just throw it away. And yet those who are observant know that in this seemingly dirty, grim and worthless material, it is teeming with life and power. You know, when I was asked to speak about the power of God in this series, I initially thought, like I guess most of us would, that I will be talking about heavenly lightning bolts from above, moments that bring about instant change. I thought I'd be sharing stories of healings and breakthrough and amazing transformations. And the more I thought and prayed, the more I thought, I'm not sure that's what Jesus wants to say to us today. And it kind of got me thinking, what if Jesus really wants to fill us with his life and power? But rather than zapping us from above or an emotionally moving moment at the end of church on Sunday, what if instead he wants to put some manure on us? We all know 2020 has been very challenging for a whole load of reasons. And if you are like me, you are just desperate to get to the other side. For this whole pandemic and everything that goes with it, the social, the economic consequences and more, just to be over and done with, chop, chop, cut down, get rid, move on. But what if... In God's economy, this is a manure year. What if this is his way of showing us we cannot fix the world in our own strength? We can't produce enough fruit. We need him. What if in the midst of face masks and social distancing and lockdowns and early closing at the pub, what if this year is teeming with life and power from God? What if 2020, this manure year as we could call it, 
What if this is Jesus calling his church to do what is sometimes described in the Psalms as waiting for the Lord? What does waiting for the Lord look like? Well, I guess in many ways it looks like a plant sitting in manure. When a plant sits in manure, it does very little to receive its life and power. It just kind of submits itself to it. That's what waiting on the Lord looks like, submitting ourselves to the author of life. Letting Jesus have his way in every part of our lives. It looks like things like silence, meditation on scripture, not just a quick prayer here or there, but devoting ourselves to it. It looks like faithful involvement in church community, not because we get lightning bolts from heaven, but because that's how God forms us over time. Uh, Nobel Prize winning author Saul Bellow puts it like this. The more you keep your mouth shut, the more fertile you become. In other words, the more I am still before God and submit myself to him, the more I allow myself to be steadily infused with his life and his power. I was trying to think of an illustration on this. And I was reminded of a story I was told many years ago. It's featured in a number of books, including one that I read uh, last year, just published uh, just uh, last year. And it's about a pastor in the States called Robert Cornwall in the 1960s. And he was leading a small church community in Oregon. And in his spare time, uh, he went to offer counselling at a nearby mental institution. His first assignment, it says, was in a building called uh, House 37, which housed some of the most severely disturbed patients. And on his first trip there, he was escorted to a padded cell and he said the room was covered in excrement and urine. The stench was horrific and the patients had just received their medication and were very uncommunicative and they wouldn't answer any of his questions other than with uh, grunts and groans. And he thought, what on earth can I do here? How can I bring light in darkness here? And uh, he prayed and thought he got a nudge from God. And he found a patch of the floor that wasn't soiled with excrement and urine and he sat down and he just started singing the ancient song, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Sorry about my voice, not an audition for the worship band. But he just sang it over and over. Nothing seemed to happen. And then the guard came to collect him and escorted him off the premises. Next week, next shift, tries the same thing. Again, nothing happens. By week three, the first sign of change. One of the patients begins to circle him and eventually sits down near him and starts singing along too. Soon all the patients are joining in. It's said that within a month of that moment, 36 of those 37 patients have been moved to a self-help ward. And by the end of that year, all bar two of them had been discharged completely. It's a picture of the manure of God. No instant quick fix, but ultimate life transformation. What if we emerge from lockdown? Just a bit one example from scripture, having let the truth of God's love for us saturate our very beings. What if the fruit of lockdown, I don't know, six months, 12 months, 18 months time, was our church community is utterly free of fear and insecurity because we are totally convinced of the love of God for us. This is how God's power manifests itself in manure, in the slow saturation of our being with the life of God. You know, tonight we have an empowered prayer and worship evening. 8 p.m. till 9 p.m., just a, a longer time than we normally get on Sundays, in person or online, to, to worship God. And as part of this evening, we've got a load of breakout rooms with a team ready to offer listening prayer 
to anyone who wants it. Maybe you're finding it hard to hear God right now. Maybe you really need guidance or wisdom from God. We've got a team ready to stand with you and pray for you. And we hope it's a very significant evening for many, many people. But it is also important that we understand that the simple act of being in an atmosphere of worship and praise, the presence of God for an hour, can have an equally transformative effect on our souls, even if we don't notice the difference immediately. I heard a church leader reflect on this parable recently. And they said, kind of as I referred to earlier, that the order of the fig tree owner here, cut it down, cut it down. It resembles the cry of the crowds later on in Luke's gospel, crucify him, crucify him. He's not the king we wanted, cut him down. But interestingly, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he ends up uttering apparently the very same Greek word that is used in this parable, leave it alone. It's the Greek word aphes, which means forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus is going to willingly allow himself to be cut down. And he's going to go into the ground just like manure. But he will come up the other side. And there, there is not only forgiveness of sin, but glorious resurrection power. Manure is the stuff of resurrection life. And so submitting ourselves to the manure of God in many ways is not unlike allowing the cross, God's forgiveness, Jesus' sacrifice to have its way in every nook and cranny of our lives. The problem is it is slow. In fact, I once heard a monk say this, that all God's processes are slow. And you could argue, in fact, that Jesus in many ways seems obsessed with the tiny, the invisible the quiet and the slow, things like yeast and salt and seeds and manure, these tiny things, but if you submit yourself to them, they just have the most extraordinary power in our lives. That's the difference that Jesus makes. You know, I went online, did a Google search of comparisons between plants that have sat in manure and those that haven't. There's some images hopefully coming up on the screen for you to reflect upon. Maybe this is a picture of the difference that Jesus can make, but it also got me thinking, once this whole pandemic is over, will there be a qualitative difference between those that have decided to wait upon the Lord and those that have vainly continually gone in search of constant change and novelty and quick fixes? And so with all this said, what is the application for us as a church? I want to call us to three things. Number one, I want to call us to do what Jesus calls the crowds to do here. I want to call us to repent. To realise I can't fix my life. I can't produce enough fruit. I can't change the world in my own strength. I need his power. I want to turn to him now. Maybe you want to do this for the first time. Maybe like me, you feel the need to recommit your life to God. Secondly, I want to call us to submit ourselves to the manure of God. Now, what that looks like for each of us will be very different. Maybe you know there is a habit in your life that has to change. And what the next six to nine months is about for you is bringing that out into the light, confessing it to others, maybe going on a steps course, because you know it's robbing you of the free life that Jesus has for you. Maybe for others, you know there is a little nook and cranny of my life that is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. 
Maybe your involvement in church is going great, but actually when it comes to your finances, Jesus is not Lord there. Maybe it's time to work that through and say, I'm going to try and trust what you say, Jesus, about money in every area. Maybe your finances are going great with God, but maybe the world of your relationships needs a whole lot of work. And you need to start following Jesus and submitting that to him more and more. Maybe your community is going great, but actually it's your time and how you use that and your involvement in church community that needs to change. Maybe just for many of us, there's this internal decision, I've got to stop pursuing quick fixes. I'm going to stop offering just arrowed prayers up to God and I'm going to devote myself to it. I'm going to stop reading the odd Bible verse here and there and I'm going to devote myself to studying the life that's in the word of God. Maybe it's like faithful involvement in church community. Like I'm going to give myself to the church of Jesus Christ, not because I get lightning bolts from heaven, because that's how Jesus forms me. There's a philosopher and priest called Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. He's French. And he says this, above all, above all, trust the slow work of God. I'm calling us to repent and then above all, to trust the slow work of God. And then thirdly, I want to call us to receive the love of God all over again. In many ways, that's kind of what this parable is all about. You see, the danger is, is I look at my life and I think I can't produce enough fruit and I just get down on myself. And I look at the world out there and think I can't fix it and I just get even more down on myself. Like I can't produce enough fruit. I can't change the world. Jesus says, I love you so much. He is not the kind of person who says, cut it down, get rid, move on, find someone better. You're not good enough. No, he's the vineyard owner. He says, I'm going to be patient with you. And I want you to know I love you so much. I was willingly cut down for you. And I went into the ground, but I came up the other side. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus says, I have chosen you that you might bear fruit. The fruit that you were created for, you can produce through the life that's in me. So come, receive my love. Submit yourself to my Father, forgive them. In many ways, all this is about is receiving the love of God again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And while God's power may take time to take its effect in our lives, we can know the love of God right here, right now. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so I want to pray that we experience this right here, right now by the Holy Spirit. I want to call us now to come before God. And for some of us, it might be a moment to repent. For others, it might be a moment to make a decision. I will wait upon you, Lord. But for all of us, I'm going to pray now, we know the unfailing love of God made real to us because of Jesus by his Holy Spirit. So let's invite God's presence to come. Let's just take a moment now to wait upon the Lord. The more silent we are before God, the more fertile we become. Let's just be silent before God for a moment.
Come Holy Spirit. We invite you to speak right now. As we close our mouths, would you open yours? Would you whisper to us? Father, I want to repent. We want to repent. We want to turn away from doing things our own way to Jesus Christ. And we want to make a decision now to wait upon the Lord. That we might know the life and power of God amongst us as a community. But in this moment, may we know your love, your unfailing love that cost you everything. But that you gave us that we might bear the fruit that you've called us to produce. Come Holy Spirit. May insecurity be gone. May fear and doubt subside. And may we tangibly experience your love in our living rooms, in the live services, wherever we are listening to this. Come, Holy Spirit of God. May we know nothing can separate us from your love. And as we wait upon the Lord, may we do so knowing the love of God in us, with us, upon us as a community. And may everyone who comes into contact with us taste that love too. Come, Holy Spirit, and we want to worship you now. May your love be made more real. May you continue to speak. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to christchurchlondon.org.